Okay, uh, welcome to another edition of Cultural Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different cultures, uh, learn about other cultures, uh, see what's going on in different places uh, in the world, and kind of like build that bridge uh, between cultures. My name is Nosa Yari, and welcome to another episode. Uh, today, I have a young woman with me uh, on the interview. She's a real estate broker. Uh, she's well-traveled. She is fluent in multiple languages, uh, English, Persian. She's interested in nonprofits in the long term. She kind of like wears many hats, uh, if I may say so myself. But I'll let her do some of the talking. So welcome to the episode, Zainab. Thank you. Did I say that correctly? Zainab? Yes, it's Zainab. Oh, okay, cool. How do I pronounce your last name? It's Sapahi. Sapahi. Yes. Okay, I knew there was going to be a trick in there somewhere. Because I was going to, I always ask all my guests, so, you know, teach me how to pronounce your last name. Because first names are always, like, pretty much easy for the most part. But last name, Sapahi. Especially because it's not natural in English for the A to be between P and H. Correct. So P and H usually go together. So everybody usually says Sapahi. It, that's what I would have said. <laughs> the PMH, they want to be together. Sepahi, okay, yeah. okay. And uh, I'm Nigerian, and uh, in northern Nigeria, Zainab is a very like popular name because yeah. uh, folks in northern Nigeria are predominantly Muslim, but we pronounce it Zainab. Yep. And it's with a Z A I, not a Y, but yours is a Y. Yep, yep, Zainab. Yep. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's uh, pre- pretty interesting. And. Is it is Zainab a popular name uh, back in Iran, where you're from? Um, it used to be more popular. It's not as popular as much anymore, but yeah, it used to be a lot more popular. Okay, it's so- actually originally not a Persian name. It's an Arabic name. Oh. Yeah, so um, with the Arabic influence on the Persian language, there there are a lot of names that are originally Arabic. This is one of them. You know, I was going to ask that because, you know, for most people, when they hear Arabic and Persian, it's kind of like one and the same, if I would say, yeah. for people outside of that culture. But what is the main difference uh, between Arabic um, so Persian? Very different. Um, and so a lot of people um, kind of get taken back by if you, for example, call them an Arab, but they're Iranian or vice versa. Um, very different. It's like comparing... Um, the U.S. with Mexico and saying mm. it's the same. That's mm. how different they are. Gotcha. Yeah, the language is different completely. Um, the only thing that is similar is the alphabet, but Persian mm-hmm. has five additional letters to the Arabic language. Okay, pretty interesting. But is uh, Arabic a common language in Iran, or some people speak Arabic, some but most people speak Persian, that kind of thing? Um, no. So in Iran, in the south of Iran, um, some people speak Arabic. And in few, like the regions, maybe I would say, I'm getting tested on geography, but maybe mm, further east. Social studies, man. Yeah, further <laughs> east on the west is like more Kurdish. Um, in the uh, northeast, more uh, Turkish. Mm. And then when it goes to the south of Iran, you'll have a little bit of Arabic. But most of the country, uh, Persian or Farsi, known as the same thing. That's the main language that everybody speaks. Oh, Persian and Farsi are one and the same? Correct. Okay, that's a new bit of information. Yeah, interchangeable, the two words. Oh, okay. Yeah, Iranian and Persian, also the same thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Iranian, Persian, and Farsi are kind of... Correct. Yeah, Farsi is what we use for the language. 
Okay. Um, Iranian or Persian is what we use for the race. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Iran used to be called Persia up to the 1950s. Correct. Yeah. It used to be, I'm not sure exactly what year it changed, but it was up to the 1950s. It was called Persia. And then due to an ambassador, I believe, that proposed the name change, it changed to Iran. Iran. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I remember uh, playing like Prince of Persia yes. on PlayStation <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> when I was much younger on PS2. And, Persia you know, sounds a lot fancier and friendlier. Yeah. Especially yeah. in like the, col- the current political climate in the mm. world. I think a lot of Iranians kind of use that to kind of shield themselves from some of the judgments. Really, and the prejudice within Iran or outside Iran? Outside of Iran. Okay, so if you if you if I meet an Iranian outside of Iran, they are more likely to say, "Hey, I'm Persian than I'm Iranian." Correct. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I wonder what I'll. We have to come up with something for Nigeria. What would I say? I am. <laughs> I'm Nigerian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like fancy. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And Nigeria and Iran have quite a number of things in common actually oh, okay. uh, especially like northern nigeria i would imagine like any other country like the people of iran are not a monolith so you know the people have different cultures from east west north and south but both our countries are oil producing countries yes so we feel the swings absolutely <laughs> we feel the swings and you know when the oil you're five years old and you know the meaning of oil price and opec <laughs> and all <laughs> and all this Political fantastic conversations stuff. are your main language yeah tell me <laughs> that age of five at the dinner table exactly (laughs) but tell me about growing up what city did did you grow up in iran so um my up my growing up interesting i was born in tehran and when i was 10 years old tehran is the capital of iran i'm sorry yeah tehran is the capital of iran you said Um, you said it differently tehran tehran yeah so in english they say tehran so the h kind of again that awkward H in the middle is doesn't come naturally. Gotcha. So yeah, Tehran is where I was born. And um, when I was 10 years old, I moved to Arizona. I was uh, in Phoenix for a year and Tucson for a year. And then when I was 12, I moved back to Iran again, back to Tehran. Wow. Yep. And so I lived there for four more years. And then in 2001, I moved to Denver, Colorado. Gotcha. Well, that must have been interesting. What was it before you moved? Wait, let, let's peel this back. You were ten years old. Yeah. Before you moved to Arizona, had you been outside of Tehran? I had been to the other cities in Iran, like okay. Shiraz and Isfahan and um, Mashhad and the north, like the different major cities and smaller cities as well. Okay. What were your some of your earliest memories growing up? Did you? Oh, Go outside and play. Did did what like what was it like growing up? In, ah, it was know? amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, we were a medium class family, and I grew up in the right in the middle of Tehran. But in Iran, in Tehran specifically, there are like the main streets, and then there are side streets. The main streets and side streets? Yeah, okay. yeah. so the main streets are more like traffic and businesses and okay. whatnot. And then um, the smaller side streets are where like all the homes are. So there's a separation. Is it like alleys or Correct. actual streets alleys. with businesses and Yeah, things. alley is a better word okay. for it. Yeah, so in the alley where I grew up, um, we would go outside and like play soccer with other kids. and Really? Yeah, like set up our own little like the goal 
you know, like the, we would put two little bricks. That was gotcha. kind of how yeah, we, we call do. we call that monkey post, right? Yeah, exactly. You kind of use your legs to measure, exactly. make sure that everything is right. And someone says, "No, you cheated. You moved yeah. the stone yeah. halfway." We had those, and then we had these little purple plastic cheap balls that we used to use as soccer balls. And then when they would get a rip in them, we would make a double layer with a new one. With a new one, Yeah, right? and when you had three or four layers on the soccer ball, that was like its prime. That's yeah, prime. That right? was a solid that, that, feel, that feels really common with like petroleum producing or oil producing countries. Like Ooh. you have a lot of plastic, like growing up, lots, a lots, lots of things in the house are made from plastic because like a byproduct of yep. uh, petroleum. But is soccer really like a really, really popular sport it in is. Iran? Absolutely. Oh, yep. when, when I'm thinking Iran, I think like polo, I think like cricket. No, uh, no, no, no. It's soccer, backgammon. Those are the uh, two. Yeah, backgammon. Uh, yep. yeah, yeah, soccer yeah, backgammon true. were absolutely huge and then um we rode on our bicycles every day and we had to come home before the sun went down that was the rule um me and my friends that one of the earliest memories i was five years old we said there was a lot of construction always going around okay and there were these little bricks that had like six little circles in them Okay. They had six little holes in the bricks. Like a design? Yeah, like see-through almost. Oh, okay. I and gotcha. so, yeah, you could see there were six holes. And so we would take those and kind of kind of create our own little stoves and kitchens with mm. my friends. And the so different... the, the real estate journey has been a long time coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, <been> <laughs> it's been a long Building. time coming. <laughs> you, you didn't know what you were doing, but, you know, somehow. <laughs> yeah. It was in my subconscious. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. So when you moved to Arizona, you stayed there till 12. Yep. Did you, as a 10-year-old, <laughs> did you experience any kind of culture shock or your parents kind of did their best to shield you? Oh, you, you went to school, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, how was so, like yeah so um man i think culture shock like you guys a... you guys should see our face right, right now <laughs> i'm like well man um i think culture shock is actually an understatement really for what i went through yeah um it's just it's amazing so <laughs> um and i'm just gonna tell you how it, it is i'm gonna tell you how um what I went through in that mind of a 10 year old and, and the things that happened in that perspective. So for the listeners to keep that in mind saying, why is this like grown woman speaking the way she is? It's, it's going back to how I saw the world at 10. At 10. Gotcha. Okay. So we land, we leave Tehran and we land at LAX. Okay. So um, Iran, even though there are several different languages spoken mm -hmm. there aren't necessarily different races or ethnicities as you would see in the u.s so in the united mm -hmm. states obviously there are people of all different colors all different ethnicities you know mm -hmm. asian african european uh, uh south american so it's very normal like it's very you know it's something that honestly you don't really pay attention to or notice you as take much. it for granted yeah. absolutely but in Iran, it's not like that. Everybody, oh, wait, so you can't tell where someone is from by the way they look until you really. hear them speak. Uh, correct. Oh, it, interesting. Yeah, exactly. So even though my mom is American, actually, and my dad is Iranian, so I'm okay. half and half, but my mom lived in Iran. So since I had not been here, I hadn't really seen anybody from different races. I'd yeah. seen them in movies. But yeah. it's a totally different experience when you're in person, like interacting with somebody else. And it was like super what, fascinating. Were you pointing in the airport? What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a true story. So we land in the airport and I see a black man for the first time in my life. I'm 10 years old. Okay. And I walked up to him and I was like, 
You are so pretty. <laughs> That's exactly what was your dad what there? <laughs> my mom was there. Your mom, and uh, my mom was there, and she just kind of like was shocked and kind of turned red, you know, and kind of embarrassed. And she read it. The man was super nice. He was probably in his sixties. And he said, well, thank you, young lady. And I said, you're welcome. And I left and I came to my mom and I said, I want to look like him. And my mom's like, oh, my God. First of all, you don't say pretty to men because like in Persian, it's the same word. Mm. doesn't matter. You What's know. the word? Um, like khoshkel. Khoshkel? You know. Yeah. <laughs> or khoshti for, yeah. Khoshti and Yeah. What's the difference? Like good looking or like handsome or pretty it's kind of the same it's Hushke. not necessarily used like how we use okay, handsome I'll, for men i'll take that down yeah like <laughs> pretty for women like we don't you know we don't necessarily use that there use it's that. the same okay. and so i i remember that vividly and i just thought it was the coolest thing mm. and uh <laughs> i was ever since i was a very young kid we always listened to bob marley in our house and had bob marley videos wow playing. in iran in iran yeah wow yeah well, who was that from your mom or both, your dad both my mom and my dad Interesting. yeah yeah and so that's the only other you know connection connection i had in my head and so that, this is the first time i had seen somebody in person and i just was like so fascinated and happy and excited and wow it was that was one of the first like one of many <laughs> situations I can, I can i can imagine but how wait let me even ask this question first sure. how are iranian parents i know all immigrant parents obviously are you know i don't need a to order delivery when I have children, you go get it for me. Yeah. You know, things like that. Are Iranian parents strict? Uh, they, I know you have to be home before dawn, all that. But Yeah, you know, what's interesting, I think, about my story, or I guess my life, I mean, everybody's life is interesting in, in one way or another, but my parents were not typical, like my dad's not a typical Iranian. And my mom's not a typical American. I mean, they listen to Bob Marley. They so. listen to Bob Marley, yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, so neither one of them are typical in their ways, in their lifestyle and who they are. So my specific family wouldn't be a good example to mm. use. But in general, Iranian parents, I wouldn't say are very strict. They actually kind of spoil their kids. Wow. Most of them. Yeah, today's generation, for sure. When I grew up in the 80s, um, I would say that a little bit more than now. but. In general, I, I don't think so. Maybe um, somebody else would disagree with me, but okay. I think okay. I think Iranians are pretty spoiled. Their kids are, gotcha. for the most part, at least in Tehran, the main city. So one of the biggest difference I think um, is that people in like the major cities are very different than people in the smaller cities. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to like the villages and the much smaller cities, much different culture, okay. much more sheltered old-schooled, yeah, old-fashioned, you know, maybe more sense. strict. That makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. So the metropolitan city is very different story. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you landed in this airport. <laughs> oh, black man is pretty. And all that. What was your experience in school, like interacting with, like, American kids or mm. this diverse set of kids? I don't know how diverse uh, Arizona is, but... What was that like? So we happened to be in South Phoenix. Mm. <laughs> For anybody who knows, South Phoenix um, was rough. Um, definitely a lot of violence and, and gangs and situations like that. And, you know, there was a big Hispanic community, big African-American community. Um, that was kind of where I lived, where I kind of ended up. So definitely different. I think people were nice to me because I had cousins at mm. the schools and I had um, that kind of 
they, they would back me up, I think, in a sense, just gotcha. their, just the sheer relation. Okay. But I think if I didn't, I might have been in trouble. In trouble. Yeah. Is, is that a big thing? So there, there are some uh, cultures or communities like um, the Indian community or maybe the Greek community where everyone kind of like lives in a compound, like a large family. So, you know, you grow up with all of these cousins and brothers and everyone is like together. Is it the same thing in the Iranian community? Um, it is. My family in Iran is actually very small. Mm. Um, so I had a lot of uncles that were already in America when okay. I was in Iran. So we didn't have much family. It was four or five people okay. in Iran. But um, I had cousins on my mom's side, which is why we went to Phoenix. Okay. So those are the cousins that kind of helped me out. Helped you out. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> go, going back to Iran now when you were 16, I guess? Um, so when I was 12. Oh, I, when you were 12. I flew back by myself. Oh, by yourself. <laughs> yeah. First time on a plane. How, yep. how far is uh, Iran by uh, air? So it's about from... Phoenix, to, we had to stop in Frankfurt. That's about eight, nine hours. Mm. There was a layover for another six, seven hours in Frankfurt. And, and you were alone. I, yeah. Wow. And yeah. this was before mobile phones, internet, uh, all that stuff. All of that stuff. Okay. So about 10 hours to Frankfurt, another, and then another eight hour flight from Frankfurt to Tehran. To Tehran. Yep. Wow. Okay. When you got back, what, what was the experience like? like oh, this American girl, she, she's now American now. Yeah. <laughs> or actually, something. yes. Actually, uh, can yes. you still speak, uh, can you still speak uh, Farsi? Well, what's, what's the deal? Oh, man. So, yeah, it was actually really crazy. What was weird about that is I lost a lot of my Farsi when I was here. In two years. In two years, wow. yeah. Even though you had a lot of cousins here, you guys didn't speak Farsi to um, each other. The cousins were on my mom's side, so all oh, okay. American. Oh, yeah, makes so sense. So all the Iranian cousins or family was in Iran, and I didn't, I, I don't know why. It was very, very odd when I got back. I think the level of speaking was maybe like um, third grader instead of wow. a seventh, eighth grader. Wait, but do you grow up speaking Farsi or is just something, yeah. oh, everyone speaks Farsi. In do, Iran? Do, yes. is, is Farsi used to educate people in school? Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. so it's like... Yep. The lingua franca, basically. Yeah. Okay. So we studied in school, Farsi is your main language, but we also, in my school, had Arabic and English as the two languages that we had to learn. Sure. But my mom taught English in Iran, so she spoke English to us. Gotcha. Since day one, and my dad always spoke Farsi to us since day one. So both languages were kind of developed at the same time. Okay. For okay. me personally. Okay. Well, what about the food? What was your experience between the food? Did you miss home because of the <laughs> oh food, or it was you were, you know, in a somewhat of an Iranian American community? So you didn't really miss. Yeah, the food in Iran, like by far, and I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but honestly, I think Persian food is the best food in the whole world. <laughs> I ain't gonna argue. <laughs> well, well, when I say Persian specifically, but I'll pretty much yeah. say the Middle East. Persian food has, is one of is a kind, to be honest. Yeah, it's one of a kind. It's different than Arabic food in the spices that we use, the flavors that are used in Iran. Um, lots of saffron. Saffron. Yeah, lots of saffron and okay. turmeric and cardamom and different spices that are utilized in the specific way that Persian cuisine is made okay. is completely different than like other Middle Eastern countries. Because when you think about it, Iran is the only Persian country in the Middle East. Some people say like um, Tajikistan is considered like Persian, but it's different. There okay. are more actually pure Persian. Ours is a little bit mixed with like European uh, French influence and Arabic influence, but like it's the only Iranian, it's the only Persian country. Okay. So it's the only one that has the food that we have. But a lot of the other countries have similarities in their foods, but ours doesn't. 
What's a popular food in Iran? What's something you advise me, a Nigerian, to try Ooh. for the first time? Something that's... Uh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna name a food that isn't my favorite, but it's 95% of the people's favorite, so okay. I think it deserves that. It's called Gorma Sabzi. Gorma Sabzi? Yep, Gorma okay. Sabzi. And there's actually a Persian restaurant in Denver. Okay, really? Hey, I should go there really sometime. Good job. Yeah, definitely. Gorma Sabzi? Gorma Sabzi. What's yeah. it made from? Is it made from corn, from rice? From No, so rice is like in 95% of the foods, is the okay. main dish. And then what we have are stew-like foods mm. that are made slow-cooked, either with lamb, chicken, beef. Um, those are the three main um, meats that are used in Persian cuisine. And then uh, with herbs and okay. spices and okay. onion and things like that. And then once that's slow-cooked, it's kind of put on top of the rice. Oh, so it's thick. Correct. Thick. Gotcha. Not a soup, not something you would just put in a bowl and, and eat by with a spoon, no. Mm. So you put that on the rice and then that's that's how it's eaten. Then we have. Well, what, um, what's it eating with? Is it um, like different people, uh, different countries have different utensils and how they eat fork some fork and spoon? Yep. Is it like a gathering, like a table, or what's um, the so traditional the, way for The dishes are served on very, like, kind of tray like dishes, okay. like a big tray of rice with like saffron on it. Okay. Um, and then there's this uh, magical food that we have called tariq, tariq which is the crispy rice or the crispy bread on the bottom of the rice like a pita that. bread kind of we, it's kind of like yeah similar to a pita bread we can put on the bottom of the rice and okay. then make it crispy and crunchy okay. and that's like uh, something that everybody loves wow um actually anthony bourdain did an episode in iran Oh, R.I.P. Anthony Bode. Yep. Like yeah. He, he went to lots. I don't think he ever went to Nigeria, though, but he went yeah, to Yeah, he tried places. to go to Iran many times, and he finally got his wish, and he went, and that was a really, really good episode. It's a very good, um, there's a lot of food, obviously, yeah. because of what he did, and it was a very good insight to our foods and whatnot, too, in that episode. Nice. Okay. You can kind of see that, Football, too. food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lots of cool places, lots of mm -hmm. cool things, uh, mm -hmm. lots of cool friends. Uh, do you have any siblings? I do. Okay. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah. three of you and your parents, I was five of you in the house. Yep. And you guys all came to America much later in life. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, like I said, I was 10. My sister was 2. My brother was 13 mm -hmm. when we got here. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Let me, let's switch and talk about real estate. Okay. So that that's what you do currently. That's what you've been doing since you were five. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's basically yeah. what you've been doing since you were five. But yeah. <laughs> what spurred you, what motivated you to get into that specific field? Is it a popular profession in back home or maybe here in the Iranian community? What led you to find um, out about real estate? I wouldn't say necessarily popular. I think every Iranian, when they have a kid, they either want them to become a doctor or a lawyer. Oh. Anything less than that is unacceptable. Hey, preach. That's so. a Nigerian. <laughs> <laughs> but again, not in my family. I gotcha. So that, not typical. But as a typical Iranian family, that's kind of the expectation. Forget anything in the arts or anything like that. Then you're just like completely but shocked. Like the Middle East has some really amazing like music and movies. And Absolutely. Like, but I digress. Like yeah. You were saying. Oh, no problem. So um, for me, what happened. So when I was living in Denver and I went to the University of Colorado. I studied international business. It just seemed like fitting and business was something that I was always interested in. Yeah. Um, after that, I started working for a development company who builds apartment complexes all over the country, okay. which I actually still do. 
real estate is something that I do like full time for this company and then part time as a broker for myself. Gotcha. Kind of a thing. Um, and what I'm hoping to be able to accomplish is like start my own brokerage one day. Mm. But yeah, it was just something that I was interested in only because it's a primary need, you know, housing, just yeah. like food, you know, bottom of the pyramid, right? Yeah. And I've always been interested in helping people become kind of like, you know, financially independent and that stability. And that's kind of the, that's, that's one of the main things, you know, a home to come home to and just for it to be your own. Yeah. Very different than like the temporary situations of like renting and things like that. Yeah. I mean, the age old argument is rent or buy. I mean, I know your answer, you're a real estate mm-hmm. agent, mm-hmm. but, um, People argue that, or I, I won't say people argue, like, it's kind of true. Like, that's, like, the easiest way to build wealth, mm-hmm. especially, like, first-generation wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have some money, you start earning, earning income or whatever, you park it in a real estate project. That can be your home or that exactly. can be something else. And real estate, from my understanding, is not just limited to housing. Like, there are tons of other things that are, are considered exactly uh, real estate. And, you know, it's something that can be transferred from one generation to the next, so you leave something for your kids, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. What's the 21st century real estate brokerage like? Because um, for those listening, we are recording this in the U.S., so I'm going to like be using a lot of U.S. references. Uh, <laughs> let me just talk about home for a second. So when I think about real estate agents in Nigeria, maybe yeah. you can tell me about those in Iran. We think, we think about this guy in his mid-50s who has his glasses on, <laughs> always late, always lying to all his clients. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's still available. Meanwhile, 16 people who have rented or bought the same place or, <laughs> you know, just over-promising and under-delivering, saying, no, he knows the developer, he grew up with him, and he has no idea, that kind of thing. Like, almost like a used car salesman kind of character. Yeah, um, it's the same in Iran. It's the same. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, pretty much. So we've established that. <laughs> yeah. Bringing that here to the U.S., and when I think about real estate, I think about, you know, maybe a small group of two, three people, uh, like park benches, bus benches, uh, Wal- Walmart uh, trolleys, kind of like always advertising that. Do you know that your property went up by 16%? Like someone I know actually said she woke up in the morning, her and her husband, and she actually had a contract. Like, I don't know what you call it, like a bill of sale or purchase yeah or like an offer yeah offer yeah, yeah. someone wanted to buy a house and she had a contract not like an invitation that hey let's talk or something like a contract just <laughs> sign here <laughs> i'm like how aggressive can this real estate yeah agents be but do you find it very do you draw off the energy in that sector or sometimes you just find it daunting and oh i just think i need a break um i think just for me based on my like personality and who i am it's a little bit different um it's not something that i'm like super aggressive in it's just not who i am you're the good guy yeah my business mostly is um it's just been like referrals and whatnot i don't really do any advertising and so that's been awesome, like just to have that success from that. But I also originally here, here, I'm sorry to call you short. Here's a tip. When you start doing advertising, it has to be a suit with your back to the wall. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be like of the hands cast. I can buy <laughs> that yeah, kind of thing. That's not that's not at all my style. The gotcha. two things that drove me to get my license and to get into this actually wasn't necessarily to buy and sell. That kind of came as a bonus, to really? be honest. Yeah. Okay. Um what I did was um I got into it and I did two 
two uh, rehab projects. I did like fix and flip is mm. what they call it. Fi- or rehabbing. Fi- fix them up or something Yeah, something like exactly. That. So that's honestly one of the main reasons I got my license was that was what fascinated me, which mm. is the main thing I do with my license is buy properties, rehab them and resell them. Or resell them. So, which I love. Um, okay. And then the other thing, the other piece about it is because I was a property owner at a young age and the benefits that it brought me in my own personal experience, I wanted everybody to kind of experience that and to be able to benefit from that. And the education piece was a big part. And I felt like it was fitting for me to get the license because then I can help other people and educate them in the in what it means to own oh, and so how it can change your life. Oh, so you can train other people without the license? You can. It's just I was lacking uh, knowledge. I needed more uh, education and information. Okay. About ha- like mine was like a happy accident. Okay. What happened to me, my purchase, and when I bought it, when the market was low, which I knew nothing about mm. market trends when, when you know, I was in my 20s when I bought my house. And then what happened afterwards and how much it increased Mm. and what that meant. And then I had to educate myself. Okay, what is equity and what do you do with it? And Mm. what now? And then how can you roll that into another one Mm. and another one? And all of a sudden you're owning all these properties when originally, you know, you weren't a millionaire, you know, things like that. And the freedom, it gives a person the financial stability and freedom. And then it allows you to when you have that kind of like taken care of and the finances in life is being, you know, managed and taken care of, then you can follow your passion and what you really love to do, which for me was always like nonprofit work and things like that. And so I was able to kind of free my mind a little bit in like the financial part of life. And I was like, I should show other people how they can do this. This is amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think I'll be coming back to you for <laughs> for lessons. But wait, yeah. let, let's let's break this down. Okay. So there's a 10 year old girl right now in <laughs> LAX telling a 60 year old black guy he's pretty. That girl is interested in getting into real estate in mm-hmm. future today, yeah. 2019. What does she do? What's the first step? Is the first step to get your license? If yes, how does she do that? Um, it depends. Mm. So I, for what I do, I didn't necessarily need my license, but it definitely brought a ton of benefits. Wait, so to flip, you don't need a license? You do not. Nope. Oh, really? Nope. That's a new piece of information. Yeah. So you- I just go to anyone buy a house i fix it up i unflip i don't need a license you do not need a license how do you advertise how do you get the word out you would have an agent do it for you uh, yeah so that's what the agent would do but uh, having your license gives you so much more information it mm, gives you um education about the market mm, it gives you insight into the whole industry as different from having a zillow account or something much different much, different. <laughs> much, much, much deeper than that okay however some investors um which i understand are against getting their license or they say no i'm gonna leave that to the agent i'm gonna you know focus on the rehabbing whether they do it themselves or hire a contractor the reason why is because in the state of colorado you have to disclose that you're an agent when you're purchasing or selling okay even if it's your own Okay. So that can become sometimes not so pleasant for some people. I was what I've heard. For me, it's never been an issue. It's actually never like hindered, knock on wood, my my process. But for some people, they say, no, don't necessarily go get your license. Because if you do, then you have to disclose that. What's and wrong with disclosing it? Like the seller becomes suspicious or something? Possibly. But it can okay. come up. It can maybe create some kind of emotions in the, because it's a very, 
at the same time that it's like math and numbers, it's very emotional as well, purchasing or selling your home mm. for many reasons. So th- some people think that that might cause some kind of, oh, it's an agent. Oh, are they, you know, maybe tricking they have the us best or intention or for the neighborhood? Things like they, that. They things like that could, but I personally have not. Um, I would do it all over again. Okay. And how long have you been doing this? Uh, the agent part, two years, almost two years. Two years. Okay. So how do you get your license? Do you seek for an exam? Do you register? And we're th- talking about the state of Colorado, right? Yes. Well, it's kind of similar. It's everywhere. very similar. Yeah. So uh, the exam has two portions, a national and a state uh-huh. portion. Um, I did mine online, which I loved because I was able to kind of go back in certain topics and subjects that I felt like needed more time and attention spent on them. What kind of topics? Um, when it got very technical, there's a lot of law okay. involved in getting your license. And that's very depending on the state, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So in some of that, if I was in class, let's say, which my full-time job prevented me from being able to go to a campus necessarily because mm-hmm. I didn't want to lose my job. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do this on the side always. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I did mine online, and there's all kinds of different schools that like offer it. Okay. To get the license. What's the body that um, handles the exams? What's the... It's the state of Colorado. It's DORA, Division of uh, Division of Real Estate Agents? Agency, I want to say. Yeah, association okay. or agency. And how much was the exam? They, to, get your, to take the exam was $100. Okay. Um, there's a national and a uh, state portion, 50 each. Okay. And then once you pass that, then you get your license, which was $450. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So to get your license is four hundred and fifty bucks. Do you have to renew that every year? You. Um. I want to say it's every other year. I can't honestly remember, but I don't think it's four hundred and fifty every year. I think that's just the first just the first. Step. The I first think. Step. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So not bad. So. I think it's every other year. Little airport girl is twenty two <laughs> now. <laughs> she has a real estate license. <laughs> yeah, I wish. She, she's ready to take on the world. <laughs> What's the first step? Now I have my license. What do you advise yeah. people to do? Do you advise them to learn under someone? Do you advise uh, them to start with a certain kind of property? Do you advise them to stay out of you know certain types of deals? What 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 did you? So in uh, Colorado, uh, you are required to work under a brokerage for two years. Oh, so it's kind of like accounting kind of. Yep. Yep. Okay. So even if you, let's say, got your license and you're like, okay, I want to go open my own company now. You can't. Okay. Wait, what What if you worked for someone before you got your license for two years? Is that okay? No, nah, you still need to with a license. Post license. Yeah, post license, you mm. need two years. Because even pre-license, if you work for somebody, mm. you can't be involved in any of the actual real estate negotiation whatsoever without a license. You're not Wait, allowed. You, you cannot be involved. You cannot sign or you cannot even be involved. Correct. Or, okay. Uh, you can do very basic, like maybe administration or assistance. Gotcha. So that's why it's post-license is what they consider okay. like a working licensed individual. Okay. Um, once you have that after two years, you can join bigger brokerages, which I don't like necessarily. What's a big brokerage? How many people? Like Remax, Keller Williams. Oh, These yeah. are the big guys. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. I know Remax. That. Okay. But, um, or you can Why? Yeah, 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 yeah. Out of touch if you're with the big boys? No. Um, they take a big part of your commission. They take a, a higher percentage of your split. That's a good... So this is a good one. So how exactly does real estate commissions work? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to get... I'm going to have you giving the whole industry secret sure. sauce. Yeah. On the podcast, what so, I buy, I buy a house for. I am commissioned to sell a house for a hundred thousand dollars. How mm-hmm. does the commission work? So uh, commission changes all the time. Mm-hmm. There's like different times in the 
industry that like it's a certain percentage and then it stays that for a little while. Right now, the average typical commission is 2.8%. 2.8%. For the buyer's agent. Okay. So let's say you're buying a house for... Wait, for the buyer. So they have to be two agents. The seller has an agent. Correct. You have an agent. Correct. Can you come from the same firm? No. They can come from the same firm. Okay. Definitely. Okay, so you're just across the desk. Hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you go as the buyer, you don't pay your agent. The seller does. So the seller mm. has to pay their own agent and the buyer's agent. That's how it typically uh, works. From the proceeds, of course. Correct. Okay. So gotcha. the buyer d- doesn't cost them to have an agent. So I just tell someone, that, hey, I want to buy a $100 million property and okay. all I need is $100 million. I don't need the extra $2.8 million Correct. for the... Nope. Okay. The 2.8% will be paid to your agent by the seller. Wait, 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 wait. I, was, I once went to a conference where someone said he had $50 million portfolio in his real estate. Does that mean he earned 2.8% of 50M? Or Was he the agent that had sold that many homes or bought? or? I don't know. He said he has a portfolio of $50 million, a real estate portfolio of 50 I don't know if he manages oh. 50 or he sold the 50 or he, I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, I'm not sure. It was yeah, a conference, depends. so it might, it might have been you know, yeah, in I mean, if he owns that much real estate, mm. totally different than if he was an agent that helped. No, either he's not, he doesn't own the real estate, but he has. I think he was. He manages them, maybe. Maybe he manages, but it was within the transaction somehow. Uh, like that's the thing about real estate; it's so broad, and there's mm. so many different avenues and so many different things you can do yeah. in it. You can do property management, you can do buying and selling. There's just so much that goes so in much. it. Okay, but what's the best place for airport girl to start? Mm-hmm. What she she has a license? Okay, she's going to end two point eight. Here she goes. I started at a small agency. My dad's friend okay um, happened to have a real estate agency in Arvada. Define small in Nevada. Four, yeah, three, four agents work for him. So um, I like that because I don't have to give so much of my commission split away. So Mm. if, let's say, I help somebody buy a house for Mm -hmm. $300,000, 2.8% of that, let's say, is my commission. I don't know the exact math, but maybe eight, nine thousand dollars is kind of the commission for that specific transaction. Mm -hmm. Then if I worked for Remax or Keller Williams, one of the big guys, then I would have to give, you know, 30, 40% of that to them. Wow. So you only pocket like 6K Correct. or 5K. Okay. Yeah. But with a smaller agency, those are terms that you can kind of negotiate and kind of make them much, much less. Okay. Um, those bigger guys are kind of like selling their name almost. Makes sense. But the funny part about real estate is like the name doesn't mean anything. It's who mm. you know. So mm. if you, let's say in a month or two or whatever, or two or three years from now, mm. are like, oh, I really want to buy a house. Hmm, who do I know? It's the first thing you're going to think about. Think about. You're going to either think of some people around you that have recently bought or sold. Yeah. You're probably going to call or text them. Or yeah. you're going to think, oh, yeah. I remember saying that three years ago. I interviewed her. I wonder. I if she's remember, still I remember doing the park bench. That yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna think who. You're not gonna think where. Where, but I guess it depends. Like in commercial real estate, because I was coming from DC, right? I came to yeah. Denver from DC, and in DC, like when Amazon was moving their HQ two to yeah. Northern Virginia, they had to be the big boys. Like I think it was he ended up being. JBG or something. Yeah, totally different well, with commercial. That's like commercial. Yeah, commercial is a totally different world. Gotcha. We're talking just residential. Oh, so Remax is not a commercial real estate company? They are. Company? They okay. are. Yeah. Um, but their main, I think, target audience is like res- 
single family, you know, residential. Residential. Okay. So 2.8%, you started in a small agency. What kinds of transactions would you advise someone to start with? You started with flipping, but is that like a typical, do you think it's easy to get into not too complicated kind of Um, thing? Because you're dealing with contractors and all these things. I wouldn't use the word easy. I think it was kind of my avenue to take and my kind of natural first step because I work for a developer. Mm. So for eight years, I've been working for a company that builds apartment complexes and I've been dealing with subcontractors. They don't really build too much of those nowadays in Colorado. I think there's a law against, I don't want to say against, but there's a law covering apartment complexes where people are kind of like modifying buildings. It depends where. Yeah, it depends where, but we have some projects. We're nationwide, but we Mm. have some in Colorado. But um, so it was kind of, for me, it was kind of second nature. I had been doing that at a higher scale, much bigger scale. Okay. So I was like, oh, I'm excited to kind of do this one, you know, for myself and do one, a smaller one. Yeah. And so that's why I did that. That's why I kind of went into the flipping side. Do you get paid in a real estate agency or is it like you eat what you kill kind of thing? You do not get an hourly wage. Makes sense. Nope. So you have to go out there and hustle. You're a contractor, essentially. Which oh, is why, gotcha. Yeah, which is why you see a lot of those like more aggressive and whatnot. And that was another reason why I thought it would be wise to keep my full-time job. Mm. Because I never wanted to be... I'm not that person. I'm mm. not that like aggressive in your face, you know, constantly calling. That's not who I am. So it wouldn't work out for me. Gotcha. So for someone who's doing this full-time, uh-huh. how many transactions do you think it takes to live a, a normal life like nothing too fancy like you pay your rent you have kids you have so what family. i would suggest to mm. someone is take their let's say let's say somebody wanted to leave their full-time job and do this full-time mm. i would take whatever income they're making at their full-time job that they're comfortable at mm-hmm. and then um maybe cut out extra expenses just to have a you know cushion and whatnot i would double that that's what they're gonna have to make and the reason why I say double that is because... As the con- income, like yearly income, monthly yep. income? Either. Yep. Okay. Because the reason why I say that is because they have to take care of their own insurance now. And they have to take mm. care of their own retirement plans. Those mm. are not taken care of anymore. And then they have to take care of their taxes themselves. Wow. So okay. essentially you become a contractor. That's my own personal advice. Gotcha. Um, I don't know if it's smart. Maybe Maybe it's too conservative. Maybe it's not conservative enough. Mm. I would say to double. Double it. Once you start making double, yeah. then you can leave consistently. Real estate seems so competitive, though. That there's so is. many people, like so, like everywhere you look, like a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the tips in your personal journey? I know you kind of like put a human face to it. Yeah, you kind of like relate to people uh, yes. in a non-agent kind of way. Correct. Uh, so that would definitely help uh, having a different approach. But what are some of the things you think uh, would be right for people to do? Um, honestly, and I, again, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'm just being raw. Mm-hmm. Um, I've dealt with several agents now in the last almost two years. Okay. And I would say maybe about 10% were quality, um, wow. transactions. Not bad, huh? Yeah. It's, it's not as scary as you would think. Yes, there's competition, but I'm always about like quality versus okay. quantity. And unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of them that are just there to like make a commission and make a check, not really putting the interest of the buyer. I mean, they have to pay insurance, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's what it is. And it's unfortunate because it's such an important decision and it's such a big transaction in a person's life. The person deserves somebody who's like actually 
going to take the time and like really, really, really? make a good call for them because they don't know what they don't know. Okay. You know? Um, and so as far as competitiveness, I haven't had that, you know, problem or I've been blessed, I guess, is because the referrals that are being made because of mm. how I treat my clients, mm. um, I, I try to keep a very, very high standard of quality and care and honesty mm. that they see that and they feel it and it impacts their life in a positive way. So I've been so fortunate that they automatically want other people to like meet me and benefit from me, which is like such a blessing. Wow. And it's such a big responsibility on my part to continue remaining honest and like remaining, you know, like as if I'm buying, like as if this is my brother, this client is, yeah. or if it's my sister, like how would I want them to be treated? Like that's truly how I operate and interact. So yes, there's a lot of people in this industry. I wouldn't necessarily call them competition. Okay. I mean, she doesn't have competition. <laughs> Sound like a rapper. <laughs> okay, that that's uh, interesting. And I guess I can apply that to other areas and other industries. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and not just, you know, real estate. But on the flip side now, putting yourself in the position, because I, I guess you've sold a house, a personal house before? Um, like your own house? or? Um, yeah. Okay, so putting yourself in that position as a real estate agent, what would you advise a homeowner wanting to sell a house to look out for? Because like you said, Mm -hmm. uh, once you see that they're an agent, they have an agency license, there's a red flag. So what would you advise? I know nothing about real estate. I have this house that my grandmother gave to me. I think I can sell it for like 300000 Zillow says it's 300000 <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, What do I do? And for those listening to this outside the US, Zillow is kind of like uh, online. A it's a platform for real yeah. estate, kind yeah. of like buy and sell real exactly. estate. Um, in Nigeria, I think, uh, what? To find home. Properties.com or something. Yeah. But we have things like that all over the world. Yeah. But, yeah, on the seller side, what would you advise me to do? Um, I would advise you to um, first, like, reach out to your network, not necessarily like look online for an agent. Okay. So uh, find somebody who has experience with somebody if you can. Okay. Uh, if somebody doesn't have anybody around them that has bought or sold recently or doesn't really know a good agent, mm-hmm. because that personal experience to me is like everything. Because it's a journey to buy or sell a home. You spend a lot of time with your agent. It's a mm. two, three month journey, essentially. Yeah. You get to know the person pretty well. Gotcha. Um, so that would be the best route for somebody to go with somebody they know. Somebody that they trust is referring that person, in my opinion. Then so if, wait, do the best deals happen offline, in your opinion? or Some of them do, but mm. not not necessarily. Most okay. of the stuff you see on Zillow, that those are straight fed through the MLS, which is the multiple listing services, okay. which is where all the agents have to list homes that are for sale in okay. Colorado. Um, but if you don't have anybody in your circle or extended network, in that case online, really like paying attention to the reviews, really looking at people who are high quality, because mm. that's very important. Okay. So I find someone, I'm about to sell this house. Uh, is there like a clause in the contract I have to make sure? Do I need to make sure that the agent paid X taxes? Do I need to make sure that the deed was registered? But what's, what are like one or two key points I should be aware of uh, um, in so the transaction? You, you don't have to worry about as far as like deeds and legality. That's the agent's job to um, utilize a title company. Okay. Title company is who takes care of anything related to oh wait there are specific companies who just 
I love capitalism. <laughs> you have specific companies that just handle titles. Oh yeah, title. Yep. How many are? Is it like democratized there's, or just one or two companies? A ton. Oh yeah. So what what they do? They buy files and put titles in them. That's it. So basically, they research the um, title. They research the deed of the house to make um, sure that everything is like legit and legal, and the names. Uh, if there are any liens on the house, they will find those. Okay. Mechanical liens and such, or any other kinds. That's an um, interesting thing we'll talk about. But yeah, go on. Yeah. So um, the agent essentially creates. The contract, the contract then goes to the title company. The title company does all of the in-depth due diligence when it comes to the actual property. Is it legal? Is it illegal not to use a title company? Can you choose not to? Like, hey, I'm buying this from my sister. I trust her. I know nothing. I was there when they built the house. I don't need a title company. I don't think you can. I think in the state of Colorado, you do have to. I, I could be wrong, but I'm like 90 Five, 96% sure okay. that a title company has to do the actual um, assigning it over and changing the names is basically because the house needs to be transferred mm. and, and that transferring of it from one owner to the other owner, to the other owner is the, what the job of the title company is. Is it possible to have a practice where you have all these services within the same company? Like you have a title company division kind of thing, you have a brokerage division, you have a um, financing division. Uh, um, so yeah, so you can find those in the same essentially like maybe the same building. Mm. There could be a lender in that same building, a title company oh, in that building. same building. Oh gotcha. Or like maybe but they they're completely different branches legal of entities. the same tree. Yeah. Completely okay. different legal entities. Okay. So I guess one important thing I can take away from there is that, you know, trying to make sure that there's no and this would be probably for the buyer, mm-hmm. uh, not the seller, make sure that there's no lien on the house. Can you wanna quickly explain what a lien is, especially like a mechanical lien, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. It's like two hundred years old or something. Yeah. So if somebody does work on your home, let's say they remodel the basement they finish the basement or remodel the kitchen Mm. or do something like that and the homeowner let's say does not pay them in full or makes a payment to them that they didn't feel was fair or just or if the contractor who did the work on your property hired another company to come in and do a portion as well Mm. and let's say the contractor you paid them you paid them the fair amount that you guys negotiated in your contract with that contractor let's say they didn't pay their sub tier Mm. the person that came and worked for them what can happen in these cases is that sub tier let's say he's the cabinet installer Mm -hmm. he can then put a lien on your house he can file a lien wow (laughs) and so so a cabinet installer can file a lien like on a hotel or something correct yeah he can say you know i wasn't paid and then a whole bunch of stuff's going to happen from there but then that house essentially is not free and clear that title is not free and clear it has Mm. a lien against it which is why it's like extremely important and and, this, and I think it's a must that you yeah. have to have a title company run that and do that portion for you. So a mechanical lien is just attributed to people who work on the house. For example. And from what I understand is that he originated like from the stonemason era. Something, yeah. It's like has a long history. Exactly. And and it's to protect the workers, you know, they put a ton yeah. of time and that's their skill, that's their work. I understand it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I would want that if I was a contractor. Yeah. I would want to have some kind of right course of course yeah. i mean there are other kinds of liens of course uh the, the bank or someone yeah there's like there's house. so many different situations that can happen with like child back page child support yeah. w- what like wait that. what <laughs> i think what? I, i'm pretty sure if like 
there are situations where like lawyers get involved. They can put like financial liens and things like that. Back page child support, your house is in danger? Uh, possibly. Wow. Yeah, I okay. think it depends. It's very um, specific to like where. Gotcha. Um, and, and the region and states are very, very different gotcha. from each other when it comes to this kind of stuff. But yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Have you delved into the world of like other parts of real estate, like real estate investing or, uh, or REITs or, you know, things mm -hmm. like that? Um, what are some of the, if I don't want to like do a traditional house, what is yeah. something else I can do to participate in the industry of real estate? Um, it depends on your goals. I think right. that's the biggest thing. A lot of people want to know and they have, you know, uh, a fascination or a lot of different questions when it comes to real estate, but I always take them back to what is it that their goal is in life? Where, what money. is it that they're trying to achieve? I want to make money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but is it something, for example, is it money that you want immediately, like a small amount every month? Mm. Or do you want, okay, in 10 years, this is how much I want to have. You know, that's very important because let's say I'm helping somebody who happens to be a single mom and like she needs, you know, extra money every month, for example, then that's a different story. Then somebody is like, no, I'm comfortable right now. I have my income. I have my job, but I want mm. this for my children. This is what I want for mm. my kids' college. Makes like sense. my kid's five now. By the time he or she goes to school, goes to college, I want to be able to have the money to pay for her college for free. Makes sense. So, uh, Or paid for. So that's where I think differs of like what your exact goal is. And then okay. that's where the investing strategy comes in. Comes in. Yeah. Okay. There are people who... Um, but like do fix and flips, you know, and get a return right away and then put that into another one. Mm -hmm. There are people who do fix and holds. Mm -hmm. There are people who do a little bit of both. Um, you can do multifamily. So you can do four plexes, six plexes, gotcha. and then have tenants, but then you have the property management aspect that comes into play. Um, then you have a land that you can buy and then manage or rent out. Mm -hmm. Um, you can get into syndication which is a huge pool of several, several investors coming, coming together. together. Exactly. To like those huge projects. And yep, things. exactly. Um, again, there are long-term real estate in general is a long-term game. However, yeah. there are ways to make money immediately, like on a monthly basis monthly on it as basis. well, if that is the strategy. I mean, life is a long-term game. And exactly. So you might as well. Exactly. They <laughs> asked uh, Warren it. Buffett, when is the best time to sell? And his answer was never. What? Yeah, Warren, Warren's a marketing guy. <laughs> Speaking of influences, who, who are some of the people that you look up to in the industry? I mean, I watch YouTube, so I see people like Grant Cordon everywhere, yeah, uh, Michael Serhant, and all those guys in New York uh, flipping um, houses. So who do you look up to? Actually. Who do you learn from? What, actually, the, um, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad. Really? Dad. He's a real estate guy? Real estate was one of oh, he is a real estate many guy. avenues. I think that he did a Rich lot Dad work. was a real estate guy. Rich Dad, poor dad. I yep. mean, the Rich Dad in the book was a real estate guy. Yeah, his friend's, yeah. his, his friend's his, father. His friend's father, exactly. Ultimately, yeah. That was a big influencer for me. Another one that um, wasn't real estate, but it helped me tremendously was Chris Voss. Chris Voss. He wrote uh, Never Split the Difference. Okay. Um, so is he just an author or? Yeah. So yeah. he was an ex uh, FBI hostage negotiator. Oh, I think I know that book. <laughs> yeah. I think I, but I've never, I think I have that book, but I haven't read it. That was a really, really good one. Um, it wasn't necessarily real estate. I don't think real estate's mentioned. Not once I don't believe in the book, but 
the negotiation. Negotiation is such a big part of this game. Tell me about it. That B B B G O. What's the best best something offer? Best B B O F or B B F. Anyway, if you guys are listening, are you taking the negotiation class? You remember? I don't. Yeah. So those were really big. That those were definitely a huge help. Another book I read was The Business of Flipping Homes. Oh wow! Practically, that was a huge help as well, big time. Can't remember the author's name, but. That's the name of the book. What do you think is the best way of learning? I know you learn by reading, mm-hmm. but do you think you just need to get into it? Um, like I, I know, like in the African American community, for instance, uh, you know, we have figures popular uh, real DJ Envy, popular real estate that like go from place to place and like hold conferences and like do it like mix it with entertainment to make people like consume that information. But you personally do we really um I am absolutely against any program or conference or workshop that charges you a ton of money or any money to come and learn and to become the best of the best in the industry. Mm. Honestly, it, it's really like sad. It actually is like very devastating to see people spending thousands and thousands on these classes um i mean you know what they say in hollywood right if you're not acting you're teaching acting you have to make money somehow (laughs) yeah yeah i i find it very unfortunate um however i think the best way i spent about a year educating myself um the license was one piece of that education that was kind of the official making it legal official piece of it but most of my education came from podcasts actually real estate podcasts yeah one of the best ones is um biggerpockets.com biggerpockets.com yeah biggerpockets.com has a series of podcasts and i've listened to every single one of them and there are like several (laughs) like at that when i was reading i think now it's into the 300s but at that time at least in the 200s and i listened to everyone and it was so fascinating and so useful Mm. um to listen to actual people doing what now i'm doing at that time i wanted to do and to learn from them and that was huge youtube was i mean everything that i went to these books and the podcasts and youtube were practically free i mean the books very cheap so I think that's the way to do it is like just if it's something that somebody's passionate about and interested mm-hmm. and wants to be involved in, which I think everybody should be involved in real estate, not yeah. necessarily, you don't have to go at it as a career, but most of the people that I've met um, are other professions. They're engineers, they're doctors, they're doing, you know, real estate investing because again, they want a long-term wealth building and yeah. they want to be able to focus on their passion which yeah. is maybe not real estate yeah. they want to be able to do that at a more higher level and not necessarily worry about you know the money piece of it like let real estate take care of the financial part of your life mm. and let your passion be your passion you know yeah, that 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 makes sense that that's actually good advice let me ask you one last question about real estate yeah. where do you kind of see the industry going there's people are saying a whole whole lot of things that in the future we're not going to have anything like downtown because you'll be able to live wherever you want telecommuting is going to be popular the gig economy people are not really going to be going to work a lot of people are going to be working online sure what's the is there any trend you see like in the real estate market for us oh this is what's going to happen this is a kind of well, because people will have to live somewhere. Sure, sure. But just like the suburb trend or whatever, what, what, sure. do, you, what do you see? There's actually a few different things I can um, tell you about this. But one thing I don't want to forget, one of the things that was huge, um, helpful in the education piece was networking. Mm. So networking is number one. So I would go to networking events two, three times a week mm. for at least a year. I did that. Wow. So 
building relationships with like lenders and people and title companies and all of that and other real estate agents. I don't see them again as competition. So, and we need each other regardless. So that's one thing that I wanted to add was like networking and getting out of your shell and like attending different networking events in your area is huge. Um, what that kind of put aside as far as trends go, few different pieces that are really interesting about this. So there's no more land being made that, I, that I know of. <laughs> if anybody knows of any land being built, let me know. So that's number one. The hey, we might popular. go to Mars, man. You never know. You never know. Exactly. 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 Um, and then population, you know, is increasing. And in different areas, of course, it's different. But in general, um, people are, you know, moving and people are having children. And I know the generation now, they're not as prone to necessarily having kids and whatnot, but that's something that's happening. Population is there. And then um, as far as real estate, I don't know necessarily about the other countries, but in the United States, there is an upward trend for home values, Mm. right? So it's impossible that a person, let's say, bought a home in 1960, that would be worth less today. That's Mm. impossible. However, it's an up and down trend. So it's going up, but it's going in waves. there will be another recession. There has to be a correction. Yeah. That's inevitable. I'm waiting for it, man. That's the best <laughs> time to buy, huh? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so there is going to be one. However, a lot of people are like, oh, you know what? I want to wait and I don't want to buy. But the prices are increasing as well. Mm. If you buy the right property with your goals in mind of mm. like what you want to achieve and where you're headed, and if you buy um, in a right area, then your investment is very, very like pretty solid. Again, gotcha. there's no guarantee and there's no hundred percent, you know, of course in anything, but it's a very safe bet of where it's going to go as far as the future goes. For the long term. Long term. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I know I promised I said that was my last question about real estate, but there's <laughs> something that just popped into my mind right now. So especially owing to the fact that we're in Denver, yes. uh, we're in Colorado, rather, and uh, the issue of gentrification. Mm-hmm. I want to understand how that works on the top level, because you wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden Brooklyn is a different place or yeah. uh, wherever, five points or wherever is a different place. I know. How does that work on the top level? I don't know if... Um, you've experienced any of those meetings or something like, is there a plan? Is it, is it a government thing or both government and private sector? Is there, cause how do you know with reporting, if someone's property on your street is going up for sale or being listed, can you know about it or it's just between them and the real estate agent or can someone come and be pricing nine properties in the same place at the same time and no one knows, but all of a sudden he bought the block. Uh, yes, that can that can and does happen. Mm. It's not something that has to be announced to the public. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, so there are things called pocket listings. Pocket listings. Yeah, so okay. that's when, let's say, I know you call me and you're like, hey, can you sell my house, Zaina? Mm. And then obviously I know the address, I know where it is. Then I, let's say I know another agent and I know because of the network, because of like talking to each other, I know yeah. he has a buyer. Sorry, let me pause this real quick. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so if you, for example, are selling your house and then you contact me as an agent and then I obviously know where your house is located and all of the different, you know, 
specifications about your property. If I know another agent and I know they have a buyer that's interested in your home, then what I can do is instead of advertising it and going through the time and all of the different marketing and things like that, I can just call that other agent and say, hey, I have this property. And if their buyer is interested, they come and look at it. The transaction just happens just like that. Oh, so it's like an informal market, kind of like uh, the intra-bank market and stuff like Yeah, and it's completely legal, legal, and it happens every day. Um, The houses that are advertised are the ones that don't necessarily know somebody Mm. or don't have a buyer for it. Those are the ones that go towards the whole. So it's possible to do everything in secret. But (laughs) it's it's pretty interesting because, you know, I'm I'm, I'm Nigerian, so I'm like a hip-hop guy. And (laughs) growing up, I listened to all these guys, DMX, Jay-Z, and everyone, my block this, my block that. Oh, I'm from Marcy this, uh, Brooklyn this, 452, different area codes, things like that. I was growing up in Nigeria, so as a young kid, I was like, oh, their blocks must be their villages. Mm-hmm. That's where they're from. So that's their villages. And where I'm from, your villages is where your ancestors were from. Mm-hmm. That's where your land is. That's where your family land is. Uh, just to come here and all these places I was listening to when I was well, like gentrified, I was like, wait, these people didn't really, they love their blocks so much. They love the streets so much, but they didn't own their block. They didn't secure their block. In that sense, so how can people in certain communities start tiptoeing on the path of ownership for their neighborhoods? It's, I don't know if that's a very, very ambiguous or complicated question, but what do you think are the little steps that some people say cooperatives, co-ops, and things like that? I don't know. Is there any tips you have in that regard? It, it is. I think it is complex. Yeah. I don't want to say it's impossible. Um, But it's going to be very difficult, especially with a city like Denver. Mm. I think it's it's a lot more automatically done in much, much smaller cities. Mm. It's kind of natural for people who kind of have the same views or beliefs or style or um, maybe belong to the same church, um, kind of live in the same areas. But in Denver, it's so diverse and it's just changed so much and so quickly Mm. because of the amount of people that are moving here still every month because of everything. Mm. So it's it's just so different from one street to the next street. You feel like you you can be you feel like you're in a different city. Yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if I have like an exact answer. Gotcha. It's just. It, it's complex. It, Denver is a very, very complex place. Complex place in that sense. Hey, I had to ask, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But either way, uh, you've you've done a good job in you know giving us uh, other information about the industry. Yeah. Um, switching back to culture a little bit. Yeah. Tell me about some of your interactions uh, with other cultures. Uh, tell me about your travel experiences. Where have you been? Where have you traveled to? I've been to eleven countries. Mm, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've been very blessed to be able to travel. Um, it's my mm-hmm. have, you, have you been favorite. to Florida? Because that's twelve. You know, Florida I, I, is a I different not. country. <laughs> I've okay. not been to Florida. That, that's a different country. <laughs> yeah. No, I've not been there. Um, I've been to Italy, France, wow. Spain, mm. um, Amsterdam. All different languages. Yeah, all different languages. Germany. Mm-hmm. I've been to um, Thailand, Singapore. Oh, Southeast Asia. Nice. Yeah, Canada, Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, what was your favorite? And what, what, which one of those countries uh, did you have your most memorable experience? Oh, Can you man. tell me some interesting stories from Italy, for example, or Germany? Oh, my gosh. You um, pick. Italy was amazing. It was a volunteer uh, program. I actually took four 11-year-olds 
from the United States wow. with me. And then 11 other nationalities, 11 other countries met us in Italy with four 11-year-olds as well. Wow. Um, and so there was 48 of us living uh, in a house for a month. 11-year-olds. <laughs> so 12 adults from 12 different countries. Gotcha. With um, all these children. What's this program called? It's CISV. C-I-S-V. Yep. Um, wow. So it's Children's International Summer Villages is mm. what it stands for. And it was like by far one of the most amazing experiences of my entire life. And the psychologist who's originally, I believe, from Philadelphia, who created this organization back, mm. I want to say the 80s um, she, or even further back, the reason why she did it is because she believed at the age of 11, bringing all these kids from all these different backgrounds, religions and races together will make them automatically more open. And that uh, makes sense. Yeah. When they grow up, they're not going to think of, oh, this is they have a face to put to that, that culture. That and makes it makes sense. them automatically like kinder and more open and accepting. And it was incredible. When I came back with these kids, I didn't know who had changed more me or the kids. For them. Oh. That's kind of how it was. Nice, nice. Yeah. What about your other countries? Uh, France, France. France was actually um, a, an amazing experience because I'm obviously human and I went into it with my, you know, kind of ideas of how it will be and the stereotypical things that you hear of like, oh, Paris, everybody's, you know, snobbish and this and that. It couldn't have been further from the truth. Everyone's snobbish in Paris? I haven't heard, heard that. I heard that a lot, like about the French, you know, they're like, oh, oh they're yeah, kind the of French. like this and that. <laughs> they were so kind and gotcha. so warm and like it was such an amazing experience and mm. I, I was mad at myself for ever thinking that way or believing those stereotypes. I mean, and that's the thing about traveling and that's the thing about interacting with other cultures and that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast to be honest. Yeah. Like I've I've I like saying that this podcast is more so for me yeah. <laughs> than my Absolutely. audience. Like if people get to listen to it and learn something then that's fine. But like just getting to do this every other week and interacting with people and you know having it. knowledge about other people it's, it's so nice. I know like I was introduced to Saudi Arabian comedy, I was introduced to Belgian music. I've been to a whole bunch of restaurants and I'll definitely do the Iranian restaurant yes. here in Colorado but it's just like you get to break down these stereotypes you get to yeah. see uh, from other people's perspective and you know you just build that tolerance and you, yeah. you live such a a more filled life if I could say so exactly. uh, in a way but yeah exactly. you, you were saying about you said about France uh, Germany yeah. was Germany was that the the layover it was like a trip trip it was like a trip trip yeah okay my friend's uh uncle lives there so we got to stay with their family and it was in hamburg and it was incredible well, hamburg, they have a very good football club there yeah another okay. amazing experience for sure do you still follow football i mean you played on the streets of uh, tehran but... yeah i'm a huge fc barcelona fan <laughs> FC, uh, so messi over ronaldo huh? yeah. <laughs> okay okay yeah it's ever since i was a kid uh, is yeah. the Premier League like huge in Iran? Soccer? Huge. Yeah. Nice. Oh, huge. Definitely. Nice. Abramovich just retired. Did he retire or he left? He just left, mm. like, I think, was that today or yesterday? He left the uh, LA Galaxy. Oh. And he was yeah. like, I came to do what I said I'll do. I've done it. You wanted Abramovich. You had Abramovich. Now go back to watching baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Ibra is just something else. Oh. But yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, is there anywhere you love to go to that you haven't been to yet? Oh my gosh. So many. Mm, huge, tell me about it. Huge list. Um, I really want to go to Turkey, mm. um, which um, I will be going very soon. Hopefully. Nice. Fingers crossed. Um, I 
man, I want to go to Portugal. Portugal? Yeah. So Ronaldo over Messi then. <laughs> Not yeah. Messi over Ronaldo. Yeah, I do want to go to Portugal. Gotcha. I want to go to Morocco. I think it would be super cool to go to Lisbon and then take the boat ride over to Marrakesh. Mm. That would be like super cool. Um, I, I, there's so many places I want to go. What, I want to go to what, Ethiopia. That's with their food. What inspires you to travel? I'm sorry for cutting you short. Oh, no. Is it the the sights, the food, the stories, what, what, the energy, or just the yeah, all so, of it? Mm. Yeah, the just getting to be in a place that is totally unknown mm. to see people that are you know at the end of the day pursuing the same things I am. Yeah, health and happiness and safety. Yeah, but in a to see their way of pursuing it. Gotcha. It's like so fascinating to me. Flipping houses in Lisbon, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was looking into the international license thing like a few months ago. Oh, wait, wait. You need a license to be... <laughs> um, I was to looking at the requirements and stuff. For international do, for real estate like, transactions. Real estate. Yep. Mm. internationally so well, that would be that's pretty another avenue that i'm pursuing Here, here's yeah. a, here's a, here's an idea <laughs> having a hotel on the border of us and canada yeah or like two different countries that have like different laws and you can just walk across the hall <laughs> exactly. and, <laughs> and be legal exactly. in one side and exactly. walk across the hall and be illegal. turkey's fascinating because mm. it's a country that's in asia and europe yeah. So you could do that. You can have that right in the yeah, middle yeah, <laughs> to yeah. be in two different continents. That makes sense. That but makes I think sense. travel, South Korea, Japan, those are mm. definitely on I've my I've always list. wanted to go to Japan. Oh my gosh, yeah, both I've of heard, them. I've heard amazing um, things. I think that travel is not only something that everybody like should do, mm. I think it's essential to our human development. Correct. I think that there's a reason why God created so many different races. Correct. And I, I don't think that's an accident. Yeah. And so... It's, it's, I think, imperative to the human development. Like, I've been fortunate enough, so blessed to be able to, and also to come from two opposite, very, very different backgrounds. Correct. That automatically kind of encouraged it yeah. as in my DNA, I guess. But I think anybody who has an opportunity, you know, just don't listen to anything the television tells you. Yeah. And just like go there, book a ticket and just like go. I'm, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I had a military father, so I did a lot of traveling within Nigeria. Nice. And I always say that even, like, when we say traveling, I mean, you might you might not have money to go to Lisbon and all these places, but even within your country. Absolutely. Like, go to the south, go to the east. You don't need a yep. passport for that. Like, Absolutely. go to the north, Go like, see what's going on. Like, my dad was in the Nigerian military, so I got to go to all these places within Nigeria and that changed my perception as a child. Yes. So when I got into boarding school, I also interacted with people from different cultures later on in life. When I came to school in the US, I traveled to all these places. So that has like informed the way I interact with people. Me too. So it gives you a perception and a depth mm-hmm. that nothing else in life will. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter no amount of education. Yeah. No amount of books you read. Those are amazing mm-hmm. and necessary. Fine, you know this one is a whole different level of like what it does to the soul. Yeah. Like travel does something to your soul that like nothing else does. Correct. It, Correct. It's just, it's hard to explain it unless you have you to know, experience like you've it. experienced it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. once you experience it, honestly, I think everybody like you get addicted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. What now? What next? Yeah. You know, because it's so unknown. Yeah. It's so unpredictable and incredible. 
Yeah. And in the meantime, while you guys are planning and, you know, trying to change your perspective about travel, you keep on listening to the podcast. In the meantime, exactly. <laughs> get to like in a very casual conversation. You know, I like to say that, you know, I'm not a, a sociologist or anything like that. So I'm not asking you that how many <laughs> tribes are in Iran, things like that. So by just having a casual conversation, but, you know, hopefully... Um, you know, disseminating information about your culture uh, to people who are listening. But I like to also do that at the end of the podcast in a deliberate way. So I play something called Endgame. Mm -hmm. So in as much as, you know, we talk about the things, we're having this casual conversation, I like to be deliberate about passing certain information. So even if it's one or two things people sure. pick up from where you're from or, you know, how you do things, then that can be communicated in a deliberate way. So yeah. uh, are you ready to play Endgame? Let's do it. Okay, let's go. Disney, please don't sue me. I have Disney Plus now. I'm just joking. <laughs> All right, so I have two questions uh, for you. Uh, one is uh, kind of about, um, I'll just ask you the questions. Let's okay. See. First question, who is the current president of Iran? It's um, Mr. Rouhani. Mm, yeah, correct. <laughs> Ten points for you. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Hassan Rouhani is the current... Did I pronounce that right? Rouhani? Yep, Rouhani. Rouhani is the current president of uh, Iran. Uh, Iran also has a supreme leader uh, named Ali Khamenei. Khamenei. Ali Khamenei. Yep. And that was intriguing to me. I was like, what's the difference between a president and a supreme leader? I was interested in like the structure of government and everything. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit different. Um, the Supreme Leader ultimately makes the final call mm. when it comes to anything necessarily that is going to happen, like major situations. Oh, so the president's kind of like day-to-day -day kind of thing? Kind of, mm. yeah. Okay. The, yeah, it's the, the higher level decisions are definitely something that the Supreme Leader needs to approve. Gotcha. All right. Mm -hmm. Second question. What does OPEC stand for? OPEC. Mm -hmm. I know this. Yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you played with all those plastic balls when yeah, you were younger. Yeah, oil, petroleum. Close, close. No, you, no. you got the P. The petroleum. Um, it's oh man, it's like you're there. Yeah, you're there. <laughs> petroleum. Um, Five points for you. Okay. <laughs> I don't 15, mess 15 points. You can redeem that on a condo somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, OPEC for those, especially listening in the US, that know nothing about, or let me not say know nothing about that. You know, I'm not really familiar with the oil industry. Uh, I'm Nigerian, you're Iranian, so. I should know it. I did know it. Familiar. I won't point. I don't no, I'm, it's, I, I understand. Once yeah. oil prices dip, then yeah. it's easy to lose interest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, now everyone's moving towards data. That's the new oil, right? Exactly. So yeah, oil. Um, so Sorry, OPEC is OPEC, is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Ah, yeah, it was yeah. founded by, um, it was formed in 1960 in Iraq, I think, in Baghdad. Mm -hmm. And it has member countries like Nigeria, Angola, Iran, Iraq, Venezuela, uh, UAE, I think, and I think Qatar. Uh, there are about 14 or 15 member countries. And what they do is to like set oil prices, set production uh, output so making sure that even though you have the capacity to produce x you keep it at x so kind of like keeping the commodity valuable mm -hmm. in a way because 
Uh, it's just like the Mars thing. Uh, Elon Musk wants to go to Mars, and they say there's a lot of gold and diamond in Mars, and there's so much that if they bring them back home, then diamonds will become valueless. So uh, mm. diamond ring will become... So they're kind of like making sure that, okay, you can go to Mars, but don't touch any of the minerals. So mm. we still have in the industry here. Fascinating. Kind of thing. But yeah, those are my two questions. Uh, do you kind of like have any question for me about like the podcast or where i'm from like nigeria or anything you've thought about uh to the best of my knowledge and ability i'll try to answer it yeah so um you kind of talked about your inspiration to start the podcast was to learn about other cultures which i think is awesome mm -hmm. and that's why i wanted to be a part of it because i just think it's so cool that you're doing this and talking to different people um what better way than to just sit face to face but um when did you start it uh, so I started it last year, I think, in November. Uh, wow. So I started, started it in grad school. Long. Yeah, so this should probably be episode, this episode we're recording right now should probably be like episode 49, I guess. Cool. So I guess in, I publish it every week, so 52 episodes, that'll make a year. So in a couple of weeks, I guess it'll be like a year. Okay. I started the podcast. When do you think you're going to have every single nationality? Oh, my you? goodness. <laughs> <laughs> What's the goal? What's the goal? I'm, I'm not necessarily looking at nationality. I'm just looking at culture. So I can never interview people from the same country as people I've interviewed before, but yeah. just coming with a different perspective. Like I've interviewed a Nigerian before, Got but it. I grew up in Nigeria and came here to school, but she grew up here and went back home. So ah, we just treat their stories on how that dynamic was. And, you know, if I'm talking to someone from Iran later, maybe I can interview someone from southern Iran or maybe someone perfect. who had both parents who were, you know, Iranian and no one Iranian, one American. So sure, sure. I don't really like want to cover the globe. I mean, yeah. different countries is like low hanging fruit. If you're from a different country, that means you're from definitely a different culture. But. You might be from the same country, but have a different background, a different experience, that Very kind of cool. thing. So that's, I'm also interested in stuff. So that. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming, coming uh, Zainab Sepahi. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, do you want to, I mean, you're a, you're an agent. I don't know if you want to give out like your email or phone number if someone's thinking about buying a house sure. or something. Sure. If anybody wants to buy or sell or in general has, um, like I said, I didn't really get into it for necessarily the buying and selling, but for the education piece and for the investing pieces were what I'm really interested in, but I'm more than happy to help anybody. My um, email is Zainab, Z-A-Y-N-A-B at Heart Realty Group, H-A-R-T Realty Group.com. And my cell phone number is 720-299-9145. Spoken like a true real estate agent. Always, <laughs> always selling. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you guys can follow Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Also, um, we're a Culture Class Podcast pretty much everywhere. Um, I think except Twitter. Twitter, Twitter, we're Culture Class Pod. And yeah, send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think, what you think we're going to do better. If you want to come on the episode, if you're in the Denver metro area, let me know. And yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.